Good morning. Merry Christmas. We are just days away. We're almost there. And as we enter this fourth week of Advent, we're talking about peace. And I was praying on this, and it started to really hit me as I walked through some stores looking for some things. Um, how much, like, I see this one phrase, peace on earth. How many of you are aware, like, that's everywhere this time of year? Specifically, you go to Hobby Lobby, you see it everywhere. And it got me thinking that, like, maybe, just possibly, we, uh, we have taken a human perspective on peace on earth and made it a little bit ambiguous. Like, we at the fellowship have a value, and the value is to be biblically centered. And what that means is we want the biblical perspective to drive our thought and mind. We want God's perspective on the matter. And so, like, when it just magically happens at Christmas, you see peace on earth, like, everywhere, it might be a little ambiguous. It's, it's a bit like, um, what's the universal answer in Miss America pageants going to win you the competition, right? It's like, um, you all know it, right? Right? Like, so, like, what can she say? It's like, here's the question. Um, so, for Miss America 2020, uh, tell us your thoughts on free market economy and capitalism. Can they live apart from one another? Uh, world peace? You know? <laughs> you win! You know, it's like an automatic. It's a great answer. So, I, I think the reality is we have this tendency to take what God intended, and we've kind of watered it down just a bit. And so that was never the perspective from the Bible. That was never the perspective even from a Jew during this day. When they would say shalom in their day, what they meant, there was a deep meaning to that greeting. It meant, may it be in your life as it was in the garden. There was a hope that we were, re- we were turning there, that we're going back to heaven, that we're going back to the intended Eden before all of this brokenness, but it was never with the thought that the problems of our life would be relieved, that they would be removed until that point that God appointed, until that time where God said it was time to relieve us of pain, relieve us of problems, that we expected to have his presence through it. And we see that biblically. We see that in the Exodus when Moses leads the people out of oppression in, in the Exodus, and the oppressors are coming against them, chasing them, and they come up against the Red Sea. What does God do? He momentarily parts the sea, and they walk through. Momentarily, he gives them reprieve. When Peter and his disciples are in the middle of a storm, and it's a hurricane, they're uncertain they're going to survive. What does God do? Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and in a moment, Peter, because his eyes are completely focused on Jesus, is able to walk with Jesus in the midst of that storm. So here's what I mean. The power of peace and what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah 9 says, when he came, it's his presence and his power in the midst of our storms that sustains us and carries us through. Not the removal of said storms. Not the removal thereof. Not the taking it away. It's the settling and sustaining, the intentional consistency and the constants of God's presence with us as we go through things. It's, it's him affirming us that he keeps his promises and he is always going to be present with us even when times are most uncertain. And just like, as we enter the text today, just like their day at their time was pretty tumultuous. It was tough. They were going through some trying times. 
We ourselves have had a trying year. And God speaks up and Jesus enters in one of the most trying times in history. And there's a word for the people. And this morning, I think there's a word for the people. As we turn to Luke 2, verse 22 to 24, it says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I want to give this as a side, okay? This is a side note. The reason this is important is because it's telling us something. The two parents that were selected to usher in the presence of God were not these rebellious teenagers, They were law-abiding citizens. It says that Joseph was righteous and so was Mary. They were selected not because they were rebels. They had a deep sense of regard for God and their religious practices. And they kept them. And so the law required a purification process period for Mary due to the the blood she'd produced during childbirth. Okay, it's written right here in Leviticus 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will ceremonially be unclean for seven days. And she's unclean due to just like she is during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred, go to the sanctuary until days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter... It is for two weeks that the woman must be unclean during that period and then wait another 66 days to be purified. The reality here is what it's saying is they waited till the time of purification to pass. There was a... any, Any dispelling of blood meant uncleanliness, okay? In the life of a boy who was going to be circumcised, a woman couldn't be or release her son to be circumcised till the eighth day until she had passed that first phase of cleanliness in the seventh day. And then she had to wait another 33 days, a total of 40 days, before she could go into the synagogue, into the temple, be present with the people. That's what we're about to read, that, that portion right here. That's what's about to come, the presentation of their son. But when it was a daughter, it was twice as long, 80 days entirety, two weeks to sit back before they could release her child for like naming and the ceremonial port portion like she would still be unclean here's why they say they say that the circumcision with it brought a lot of health reasons and they they say that because it was a boy he could be ceremonially cleansed because of the purity that comes with that physical sign of circumcision but the woman With her, it carried two connotations. Number one, she could never go through circumcision. So it took twice as long. And number two, because, again, back to the garden, they saw that Eve, it was through Eve that sin entered the world. And so they said, on the woman, as a part of the curse, it is twice as long when a daughter is born. That a female must go through the purification process. All that to say this, all of that to say this, These two individuals who have been handed a ton, they're thrust right into the middle of a scandalous story where they're putting their entire lives at risk. They're not rebellious. These are righteous individuals who want to please God and do everything according to what they've been taught God desires. That's the point here. In fact, down to a pair of doves and two young pigeons, that would be the offering 
given for when you wanted to present your child in the temple, when they wanted to present their son before God, not, not as the son of God, but just to simply present a child, like we do child dedication. That's the average cost for a poor family. So you need to understand, these are righteous but poor individuals, they're commoners. They're like you and me. There's nothing really special about them other than they desire to walk with God. And this dedication of Jesus was ceremonial because it was their firstborn. Law required that he be dedicated, his life be dedicated. In their day, that he, re- he was going to his firstborn, be entitled to 66 and two-thirds percent of the family's inheritance, which wasn't going to be much, but all the rest of it, the last third, would be split between the other siblings. So he was important in the lineage. Firstborn men a lot. And so they dedicated him, much like we would dedicating any child today. It was that he would be brought up in a home that seeks to please the Lord and to seek him. But here's what happens in the story of Jesus. The entire script flips. Upon his presentation in the temple, something miraculous happens. And as much as his parents intended to present him to God... God, in turn, presents him to the people through two divine prophetic affirmations over his life. Here's your point for today. It's the only point I'm going to give you. There may be plenty of notes that you can take. I encourage you, but this one point you cannot miss. Peace comes by God's affirmation. Amen? How many of you have ever been facing a trial, something difficult, and you knew you had to walk that road, but God affirmed you inside? And you had this sustained strength as you entered the storm. It wasn't the removal of the storm. It was his sustaining peace that carried you through. God's affirmation, whether that be internally by his spirit, externally by his word, which we'll read from, externally by the word of counsel of those who seek him as well, whether it be affirmation by circumstance, peace comes by God's affirmation. The first of the affirmations was this. In verse 25, it says in Luke 2, Now, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, in light of the revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at this. Then Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. First affirmation comes by a man named Simeon. This is his testimony. The word consolation here is paraklesis in the Greek. It means comfort, encouragement, solace. This is in context to personal salvation and national deliverance for Israel. That's what this means. It was promised through the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. And it was promised that the completion of the Davidic covenant, it reads in Galatians 3, was fulfilled in Jesus. Paul, an expert in the law, said this and believed in this. Simeon had been promised that he would, because he was encapsulated by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says that he was going to see, not only be present with the Holy Spirit as he walked through life because he was righteous, but he would be a voice to affirm that when he had seen the Lord's Messiah, he'd speak of it and be able to die in peace. 
You see, Simeon loves his people Israel. He's dearly devoted to them. And he's living in a day that is incredibly difficult. He's concerned for his nation because as we enter the Christmas story, what do we know has already taken place? We've had over 400 years of just no widespread revelation for the people. So there's been no word from God to the people as a mass for over 400 years. And it's been over 700 years since they were given the prophecy of Emmanuel that God would be with them in Isaiah 7. It's been a long, long time. And so they've lost some hope. On top of that, Romans rule. And there is a severe Gentile oppression weighing down on the people Israel. So they have lost all practical hope, all spiritual hope, and they don't know where they are to personally turn. They just continue to go through the religious rite, hoping that God will show himself. But Simeon loves his people. And that's why his testimony is so incredibly important to the to the Christmas story, because the Messiah was to be a relief, the embodiment of all of Israel, the world's hope, their only hope, their consolation, their salvation. That's why he says, for Gentile and for the people Israel as well. Simeon points to Jesus, the Christ child, as the ultimate Messiah, that one that in him would be finally found peace eternal and all problems would cease upon God's timing. In his pronouncement and prophecy over this child in the temple that day, the people turned and they worshipped. Upon his testimony, verse 26, it reveals that Simeon could now die in peace. Now, here's the thing. What was one of the curses of the fall? Curse of the fall was death, right? So, here's, here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. Upon Simeon's profession of the Messiah coming into the world, like he gives prophecy, this is him. This is the one we've waited on. We're going to hear John the Baptist point to him. You're going to hear Anna point to him. You're going to hear others point to him throughout the Gospels if you just read them. It didn't remove their problem. It didn't take their problem away. Death was still a problem. It was still there. Gentile oppression, Roman rule, the struggle of life was still a problem. It didn't take it away. But however, the presence and the power of God with them gave them peace to sustain them through said problem. The word from Simeon came in a really important time. And I don't know, I don't know if today in America, as we walk through a global pandemic, this word has come at a really important time for us. Everyone points to the difficulty we've had this year. I mean, has it not felt like February was yesterday, but also it felt like 1917 yesterday as well? It's been simultaneously long and short all at once. It's been a nightmare. And through it all, God is still sovereign. Through it all, God has not changed. Through it all, God has loved his people and turned and asked for us to worship him with our all. Sustaining us through it all, giving us peace. In this time, presently, where they felt oppression, this word came as a light and it lifted the people. Let me ask you this. They turned and they looked at Jesus because they never wanted to miss the Messiah. And so Jesus, in the story of Christmas and the power therein, is in the middle of their mess. God stepped into their mess. Let me say that again. In the middle of their mess, God didn't relieve their problems. He turned and entered the conversation and came into the problem with them to be present, and to be an eternal power through it so that they could carry on, so they didn't have to feel alone. And they couldn't, 
they, they couldn't fix the problems around them, so he came to fix them for him, for them. Amen? Simeon knew this. He trusted in his heart. He knew that everything that they had been hoping for historically and lawfully was going to be fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus, the one that he's bearing his naked eye upon, and now he can die in peace. He can accept and go on and be with the Father in peace because he has now been able to see what was promised to him as the Holy Spirit revealed to him, affirmed him, sat upon him. He could go be in the presence of the Father. He was at peace knowing that God was present. And God was keeping his promises. This morning, I don't know if it's any consolation to the people here who have walked through 2020 with me, but how many of you find a little bit of relief knowing that God is present and he's keeping his promises even today? Reading on. There's a second affirmation. This is important. So in Luke 2, verse 36, it says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own home in Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. There's a second testimony given here, and that second testimony is incredibly important. It's Anna's testimony. Anna was married for seven years. It says that the moment she put her eyes on Jesus, she was somewhere north of 100 years old. She had served for 84 years after her husband's death, faithfully in the temple, fasting and praying and worshiping, doing whatever the temple required as a servant day and night. And then upon seeing Jesus, her eyes placed on him, she gave thanks to God, taking the baby from the mother's arms, raising him to heaven, praying over him and saying, thank God I've seen the consolation or the redemption, the salvation of Israel and the world. Pointing to him a second time. This is important because Deuteronomy 17 required two testimonies for something to be true. For something to be true, it required two testimonies, and here comes your second. All of Israel turns and points at this child. There's peace given by prophetic affirmation. This is, in, this is incredible. Do you remember the story of Jesus being challenged in John 8 by the Pharisees? In John 8, they come to him and say, Who are you that you, prof- you prophesy of yourself? Jesus says, by turning to them and quoting uh, Deuteronomy 17, he says, look, I testify of myself, but so does my Father who's in heaven. If I testify myself, of myself, my testimony is true because there's more going on here. And see, it required two testimonies in any case because otherwise, otherwise, in a death penalty, which is what is present in John 8, if you remember, they caught the woman in adultery, brought him before Jesus and said, what say you? You need two testimonies in order for her to survive this. What say you? Jesus just turns and quotes Deuteronomy 17. He says, okay, so him who has sin, who, him who has no sin, go ahead and you know, cast the first stone. You be first out front. Because those who caught and those who were the most religiously elite, they were to be the ones to first cast kill her those who brought the accusation and he said so go ahead 
And then he said, well, who are you that you testify of yourself as if you're the son of God? You're blaspheming. He goes, if I testify of myself. Which is interesting because if you remember the end of that story, before they even ask, who are you to testify of yourself? You see each of them drop their stone and walk away. They don't want to be a part of this. They don't want to be caught in something that was unlawful as experts in the law. He forgives her, lets her go, and they come back and find him. Who do you think you are? He goes, if I testify myself, it is, it is true. Just as much as it was true the day that Anna testified of me. Just as much as it was true the day that Simeon testified of me. Just as true as it was in the marketplace when John the Baptist pointed to me and said, I am the consolation, I am the redemption, I am the salvation, I am the answer. That's it. You see, in a moment when the Pharisee tried to build conflict with Jesus, Jesus doesn't just avoid the conflict. He doesn't just sidestep it. Matthew 5, Jesus said... In his most profound sermon ever, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He, see, the entrance of Jesus is that the world had a conflict with sin. We had a problem that was going to lead to death and keep us separate from God. So he enters that, he enters that conversation and he makes peace for all of us. Even in a time in John 8 when his life is being challenged and they're looking for a reason to incite rage against him, incite riot, to take him to the cross, which is why he came in the first place. He doesn't back down. He doesn't sidestep it. He doesn't run away. He walks in with the truth and just affirms. Can I ask you this, church? How many of the world around you and I can count on you and I to make peace instead of just keeping peace? How many of us, because we have a sustaining power of God within us, leading us through the storms, not relieving our problems, but giving us a settling sustenance through said storms, that we can go into confrontation, we can go into conflict, which the world is full of, and we can speak the truth in a loving manner, and we'll be okay to bring the truth forth instead of shying away in lies and hiding to save our own skin. I mention this because we're all entering a time when we normally are around family. Now, I don't know if your family will be present or on a screen, but how many of you have some dysfunctional family? How many of you have some things that have caused chasm that go back years? And I'm going to ask for this. Just a show of hands so that we know we're not alone. you got stuff that goes back years. And how many of us continue to just act like nothing happened? We're like, we just grin and bear it. We just go through it. Can I ask you, church, please, like, would you want to be loved like that? Or would you want to be asked about the problem and tried to brought to a point of reconciliation. If you were the problem and everyone just grinned and bared you trying to get through it, would you want someone to bring it up and love you enough to resolve the conflict and make some peace or would you like them to continue to talk behind your back and just go around you keeping peace as to not rock the boat? Hello? We there? This scratching the surface of any single person's heart in this room today, hands raised. A little, just a little, right? Because we live in a broken world just as jacked up before we had a pandemic as they did. 
And here's the thing. The godly thing to do in this moment, the Jesus thing to do, is to enter the conversation and make peace. Hello? Is to get into the conversation, to enter the mess. Not leave it, not leave the people to their own devices, but to love them enough to be honest and walk through it with them, giving sustaining peace, giving sustaining power that comes from heaven, set ablaze by his spirit, versus just avoiding it and doing the super godly thing and gossiping about it later. Right? Has anyone experienced that? Not in the South, never. (laughs) Unfortunately, in John 8, what this did was incite only a anger, a deep-seated anger for, for Jesus that brought forth his death and consequential but beneficial resurrection on the cross, which is where, listen, church, You and I get to be called the church. It's where we find our peace. It's why he came. Jesus entered the world at Christmas, and we celebrate that because he came to die. And it wasn't fair. He came to die in our place only so that we could live. Because apart from him, we don't. That we could be forgiven, be freed, and truly taste life and walk without a fear, but in peace, that we have a hope that one day it's all going to be righted and the problems will be taken away when it is God's divine time for him to return. That will happen. But in the middle of it, we don't have to feel shaken in the midst of unrest because we have his presence and his power with us. Good morning, church. This Christmas, can I ask you, I don't know how many Christmases have come and gone for you. Some of you a few, some of you many. But can I ask us, can we just not miss Jesus this Christmas? Or the peace that comes by knowing him. 1 Peter 3.11 says it like this. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And we testify of him right now from this pulpit, from this stage this morning, just like Simeon testified, just like Anna testified that day in the midst of their mess. And they didn't have answers for their mess. So God stepped in and became the answer. See, all the earth rejoiced at his coming because all the earth testifies of his love and his saving power. How many of you can give testimony of his love and saving power in your life? How many of you he brought you because you were in a mess He brought you from the mess. I'm going to ask the band to come back as I just kind of close us here in this thought. Today he is our Savior and Lord. And he's being professed right now in this room from this stage. Affirmed by his Holy Spirit within each of us. Affirmed by his scriptures. And I want to encourage you. How How many of you, this is another hand moment, if you will. I guess class participation is a part of today. For those of you who know him, like know him. Not a question. You've trusted upon him and you walk by him. You have that affirmation of peace within him. How many of you today, just by someone opening the word, even when, even when that word challenges me, challenges my mind, my heart, my interior, I find affirmation that that's right. And I find peace that that's right. I may have been trying to do it from my own perspective, but I see God's perspective and I go, that's right. Right, that right there, I'm about that. Because the Spirit of God inside you goes, yes. Amen? Hands. True peace isn't the removal of our storms in our lives. 
true peace is the settling and the sustaining power of God's presence as we walk through the storms. And how many of us need some reassurance because there's been some unrest and we're walking through a storm right now? You're not alone in this. It's all of us. And whether you are in this room or you're online, I want to encourage you today, okay? I want to encourage you. If you're a part of his church, just recognize you've been left to be blessed as peacemakers because he came and stepped into your mess and he's asked you to step into the messes around you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment, though. And I'm going to ask you, church, those of you who know him, who find that affirmation, just raise your hand to be praying right now because for those who have yet to know him, whether in this room or you're listening online, you have this nudging sense within you. I'm going to encourage you to yield to that nudging, to follow that prodding. Today, you can find peace by submitting to his divine affirmation, his leading you. You can have peace this morning in the midst of your storm because he entered your unrest to right it all. And you don't have to go another day without him. You can have that this morning, once and for all, in him, but in him alone. You have to turn your life over to him and turn your back on your perspective. So, Father, this morning I ask that for, if that be for anyone in this room, that you would convict and comfort and challenge them to take that step and walk into this moment with you never Never going another Christmas without missing Jesus because they found him right now and he's had his way. Father, I ask that in Jesus' name you'd have your way with us right now. Convict your church that we would love like you. Save the world that is yet to know you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you are watching online, and you have that prodding, that nudging, I need you to email me before this service is over at prayerthefellowship.cc. I want to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and walk those next steps with him as a disciple. And if you're in this room, if you're in this room and you've had that nudging, that prodding, I'm going to be right here. I'm not going to make myself available to anyone other than you today. So if you're going, I've had that prodding and I don't want to miss Jesus this Christmas, I think this is the day of my salvation. I want to talk to you about that. So come see me right after this. I'll be available, okay? Let's pray. Let's worship.